Hello and welcome to Cartel Aristocrats cast number 158. This cast is always is sponsored by CoolStuffInc.com with free shipping on orders of $100 or more and a sweet 25% buy list bonus. CoolStuffInc.com is the store for all of your Magic the Gathering needs. Now of course I'm joined this week with my two co-hosts Edwin of Tales of Adventure and Jim Caselli of the aforementioned CoolStuffInc.com. How are you guys doing this week? I am great. Thanks for asking. And Ed? Good. Ed is just just good this week. Well, we just had Grand Prix Indianapolis this weekend. I hear there were some cartel fans there that wanted us to um, sign stuff, and uh, I didn't go, even though I said I wasn't going to go. So I'm not sure why people were asking where I was. Um, Ed, how was Indy for you? Uh... Let's not talk about indie. That bad? It, it was a miserable show in terms of attendance, the amount of people that were there, the times that we, people were there. Yeah, every vendor was like pretty much just bored out of their minds. We, it, we were basically just buying from other vendors and just walking around. It was well. Sounds like I went to the wrong show then. Yeah, Jim, how was uh, how was your weekend, bud? Uh, it was pretty good. Uh, I got Monster Hunter on Friday, and I've been playing that a bunch. Uh, and I've been playing uh, Magic Arena, playing those Brawl decks. They're still sweet. Cool. Well, let's uh, let's talk about some Throne of Eldraine spoilers. We finally figured out how mechanics work, and we've been getting quite a few spoilers lately. Um, is there anything that caught either of your guys' eyes lately when it comes to this? I mean, I think that it's pretty unanimous that the uh, knight that got spoiled today, Murderous Rider, is probably going to be one of the best, if not the best card in the set. Correct me if I'm wrong. Like, that seems unanimously, like, 100% a staple in this format and probably cubes in the future. Just, like, everywhere you could play this, I think people will play it. And for people that don't know what this card is yet, would you mind explaining exactly what it does? Sure. Uh, it's a 1BB 2-3 with lifelink, which is not particularly exciting. Uh, when it dies, you put it on the bottom of its owner's library, which also doesn't matter a whole lot. Uh, the important thing is that it's a creature that has adventure, and its adventure is 1BB instant. Destroy target creature or planeswalker, you lose 2 life. So this is like how we saw in previous years, Heroes Downfall and Raska's Contempt, and those clean ways to kill a creature or a planeswalker are often very uh, very sought after. The fact that this card is really good against the decks that otherwise a card like Russ's Contempt would be quite bad against is just icing on the cake. Like You could just play this as a 3-mana 2-3 with lifelink against the mono red deck and you know it blocks pretty well and keeps you alive. And then against like a control deck you can kill their planeswalker and then play this 2-3 that pressures their other planeswalkers. Uh, you can, in a mid-range matchup, kill their guy or planeswalker. Plays as a two-three to chump or protect your planeswalker. And there's a lot of there's a lot to like here. It's you know a two-for-one attached to a very flexible um, way to get a card. Uh, I don't think. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong. I don't think there are any creatures uh, that have a, a enter the battlefield effect that lets you kill a planeswalker. Uh, without like some other conditions, like just cleanly, like there's nothing that says destroy target planeswalker, and this is as close as it's going to get since the adventure 
uh, you can play it the same turn as you play uh, the knight itself. So, I don't know. Like, I saw this card spoiled, and I was like, the the uh, showcase version of this is going to be quite expensive. I think that it's, like, a pretty easy include in most cubes. There's uh, some situations where this isn't as good as a he Hero's Downfall, because in your graveyard and in your library, it doesn't count as an instant or a sorcery, so you can't, like... Uh, flash it back with Snapcaster Mage, and you can't find it with uh, Mystical Teachings, but given the fact that it goes back into your library, uh, means that, like, you can't raise dead it, which actually I'm thinking about that as kind of bad. Like, you can't use, like, a Liliana of the Last Hope minus to pick it back up, but all things considered, like, it going back into your library means that if you're playing a modern with, like, fetch lands, you can shuffle it back in and draw it again later, or you can search it up with a card that lets you do that. Uh, it's also a zombie, which in addition to a knight, so it's like got two relevant creature types for people to want to play. I don't know, it has a lot going for it. It's also pretty like aggressively costed. I think that um, you're leaving out the best format for this card. Can you guess what it is? Commander? Cube. This card is going to replace... I said cube! Oh, well, I'm a dingus egg, but... I mean, yeah, I was gonna say, wow, yeah, I said cube at least twice. Uh, I was like, this is easy to fit in where you would otherwise play here. Well, you needed ball. to say it three times, Jim, because you only squared the amount of times that you said cube instead of cubing the amount of times you said cube. But uh, a lot of my locals have um, been really interested in this card and what it means for the not necessarily like the future of cube, but how black plays in cube. There's not that many ways to play black in like a powered cube, for instance. Um, you normally either have like a low to the ground zombie aggro deck, or you have like a hand hate discard like based around Liliana deck or Reanimator, and this really helps um, solidify some of the more archaic strategies or like tier two black strategies in cube. Not only that, but it's also a fantastic card for some of these blue black uh, or like Esper controlled X in cube drafts. Um, not to get like too much into cube because like that's not what we're here for, but it is a very strong card in cube, and so as a result, I expect the foils to be the uh, the spellbook foils to command quite a bit of a premium as people start putting this in the cube to replace a couple other cards that they have. So I'm uh, they're called showcase cards, sure, but it's just a uh, it's, I'm just very excited to see the future of what happens with this card it, outside of what the amount of play that it is going to see in standard so yeah i definitely agree i definitely think that this gives a lot of life to uh the collector's boosters which otherwise like outside of the planeswalkers i don't think we've seen anything that's like truly a format defining staple to be included in those boosters so I, I think that murderous rider is definitely going to be something that props up the the uh expected value of collector boosters yep Ed, what do you think about this? Have you uh, you looked at any of the spoilers lately, including this card or other than this card that you're interested in? Uh, I definitely turned on the spoilers this morning just to see more of what they started unveiling. I think now that they have articles and actual more than just you know someone's showing a picture of a card, I think it's a bit easier to follow what's going on. Uh, this card is definitely very very good. Uh, it offers a lot of flexibility. It's I. You're pretty hard pressed, obviously, to find a deck that you, you know you can't heroes downfall or something. The fact that it's a creature is still fine. Um, I do like that the showcase cards are, you know, quite a bit different. There's they definitely did, uh, they definitely had a lot of liberties with the art style. 
Um, for the showcase cards, I think uh, on the uh, the Magic Art Group, the art for the Berserker, the the one that starts out by shattering an artifact and then it becomes a two one when you play it. That uh, the original art for that is going for quite a bit when I last looked. Um, other than that, I think like the there's definitely going to be a lot of cool things going on. Now we're starting to see like more of the flavor, more of the mechanics in the set. Um, I think I think I think it'll be pretty sweet. I think they've at least visually and thematically they've done very well with it. Um, I think there's definitely a few cards that are kind of on my radar in terms of how good they'll be. So I want to mention that the the three wishes ring that spoiled earlier. It's one in a black. I think you pay one to tap it, search your library for a card, put it in your hand, and then someone else gains control of it. Demonic tutor on a stick three times, yep. and you have verse counters, I think, and you only have three. Of them. Yes, uh, you have you have the basically you have the first one. Uh, you give it to someone else. If they use it, it comes back to you. That type of thing. There's definitely some pretty nifty things you can do. I think this card has a lot of potential. Uh, it seems it may be a little bit too gimmicky, which is not unreasonable. But I do think this card will certainly be uh, a commander all star in the future. Um, not really sure about its price right now. I think it's like Star City starting to sell for like four dollars. That might be a bit much. But uh, I'm definitely this. This is probably the week where you want to be keeping a close eye on uh, pre-release prices and trying to figure out like what you want going on before start before people actually figure out what's good and prices start to jump by next week or so. Jim, any other thoughts on any other cards that have been spoiled so far this week? Yeah, man, like, a lot of the Mythics are very flashy, and I don't know if that's good or bad. Uh, Ember Cleave, which is the equipment that doesn't look anything like an equipment, and it has Flash, and I'll just read it. It's four red red, Flash. Uh, this spell costs one less for each attacking creature you control, and when it enters the battle, it enters the battlefield, you attach it to something, and the equipped creature gets plus one, plus one, and has double strike and trample. If you have, like, a go-wide deck, even in standard, I think that this is the kind of card that, like, could be pretty good. Like, the equip cost is actually not that high. It's just whether or not you can get enough creatures in play to actually cast it. But plus one, plus one on double strike and trample is pretty close to, um, like, a team or battle rage kind of thing. Uh, team or battle rage just gives double strike and trample. It doesn't give plus one, plus one. And it costs two mana. This, if you attack with four creatures, also costs two mana. And then you can use it again later. Uh, I think it will be more likely to be played in Standard or Commander, where you're likely to have a bunch of creatures in play, and the game's not going to end very quickly. Um, the fact that it's a Mythic, and it, it's, I think, like supposed to be the Excalibur of the set, uh, leads it to me to believe that a lot of people might be interested in, in purchasing it. I think it'll be a good casual card. Uh, the Questing Beast is the... 2GG Legendary Beast that has like a billion lines of text on it. Uh, it's a 4-4 with Vigilance, Death Touch, and Haste. Uh, it can't be blocked by creatures with power 2 or less. If co combat damage that would be prevented uh, by your creatures can be prevented. And whenever it deals combat damage to an opponent, you deal that much damage to a Planeswalker they control. It's just like a big like, it's, it's a 4 mana 4-4 Vigilance, Death Touch, Haste is already, like, pretty good. And then it has, like, all these other random abilities that could be good in a lot of different circumstances. I don't know. This card is, like, 
I think it's a lot different than a lot of the four mana, like, under-costed big green things that we get recently because it has haste. Haste is such an important part of, like, being an impactful card. The fact that it can attack your opponent and also kill their Planeswalker is also pretty big. And at the very least, it's going to trade with whatever blocks it. I don't know, like... There's so many weird things going on with this card. Like, if, if you go and you're playing with your friends and, like, they're like, oh, this guy has, like, constant mists in his commander deck and, like, I can never beat it because, like, I'm just playing mono green. Like, this is the only green card I've ever seen. This is combat damage that would be prevented by creatures you control can't be prevented. Like, what does that line of text even mean? Uh, this card feels to me, like, it might be the dud in standard or it could be just, like, absolutely insane. And it'll never not be worth money because of the fact that it has so many weird abilities on it that people just will... When, when you go Google search, like, how to stop my my damage from being prevented, this is the only card, I think, that, like, explicitly stops a fog in green. Because you have a lot of cards in red that say, like, damage can't be prevented, but this one, like, specifically as a green card is very unique in that fashion. Yeah, I tend to agree with that. Um, I do, like what you said about the equipment that could be good in a go-wide deck. Um, it's going to be interesting to see if uh, if people try and play this in that artifact deck where it, the creature loses flying it gets plus 10, plus 10. I think it's a little too clunky to go in that deck, but it, it's nice to potentially see a different type of aggressive red strategy now that the uh, standard, the future standard league, whatever it's called, has like... This is the second year that they've been, or second set that they've been able to test ahead of time compared to what happened during Kaladesh block. Um, so I'm interested to see where red potentially goes from here versus just sort of being generic, play a dude on turn one, play a dude on turn two, play a dude on th turn three, and then just try and burn you out from there. So I don't know, like it's fun to have standards where red has other things to do sort of like that burn at the stake combo deck that was uh that was a fun deck as well so yeah we've seen this previously when you have cards that let you go wide and do a lot of damage uh i think it was like during cons here we had the hordes and outburst atarkos command decks which would like play a bunch of goblins and play some little guys and then try to use pump spells to to bump, buff all your guys and deal damage to your opponent this is the kind of card that like could facilitate that kind of deck if we get a card that lets you make a bunch of red creature tokens of some sort. Yeah, that's that's definitely great analysis. Ed, anything else that you saw from Throne of Eldraine? I don't think so. I think you guys more or less, you know, made made the relevant points, kind of discussed relevant cards. I think there's still quite a bit to be spoiled. Um, there's definitely, you know, going kind of just on par with their strategy. They definitely spoiled some of the marquee mechanics and then some of the bigger flasher mythics first i do think there's still quite a bit left i'm sure in a week's time once we have most of the mythics most of the big rares etc we'll kind of have a better idea of what standard will, will look like going forward and what the big hitters in this set will be yeah yeah i think it's definitely important though to make sure that you pay attention to a lot of the cards um not everything that is in that has been spoiled is available in the draft booster packs. And the easiest way to tell whether or not the card that you want to acquire is in a draft booster pack is if you look at the bottom left corner where the set number is, if it has like set number X over whatever the maximum is, I can't remember, then that card is in the boosters like the the draft booster set. If it just has a number on it, 
then that means that that card is only available in the collector's booster or the the product that it came from. So like all the stuff that's only in the brawl decks will will just have a number. It won't have a number out of something. Uh, yeah, that's definitely a good point to um to make, and I am still interested to see where these collector uh boosters go because there seems to be a ton of demand and still no real word on supply so we'll, we'll definitely see what happens with this set but i think we've definitely touched on most of the pertinent throne of eldraine stuff that's come out so far this week though obviously by the time we record next week we'll have a bunch more to talk about for you guys um but with that being said we can segue into our pick of the week uh jim do you want to go over who won this week I'm so confused. Are we doing pick of the week or are we doing or a question? Credit winner. Man, I did this last week too. This is this is a reoccurring theme now. Credit winner. Yeah, you're you're like really off your game. I don't know what's happening. The, the less puns I say, the harder it is for me to concentrate. Oh, it's like it's just, it's just losing like motor function, mental mental capacity is too low now. Yes. But uh, do you have a uh, credit winner of the week? I do. Our credit winner this week is Sam Lemon, and he says, Hola, everybody. I'm traveling to Canada for the first time ever, and I plan on going to Magic Fest Montreal. I'm curious to know if there's anything different in the great, right, great rugged Great White North, sorry, I'm having trouble reading, than there is in the USA in buying or selling cards at a GP. Are the prices generally higher or lower or the same? That is a great question. Ed, do you want to start, and then I'll fill in a bit, because I feel like we all went to Toronto, so. Uh, yeah, so the biggest thing about Montreal is that that is uh, face-to-face's home. They have both stores in Toronto and Montreal, but their first one uh, was in Montreal. So they'll at the GP, they'll certainly have a big presence there. They usually have two booths. The Toronto store usually has a booth of their own, and then the Montreal store usually has the giant island. Um, when I was in Calgary earlier this year, uh, the the Montreal booth, the big island, actually had a 50% credit bump uh, on cards, um, which is uh, visually fairly impressive, but in practice... It's a little bit more difficult uh, because face-to-face is the Canadian equivalent of Star City in the sense that they are the largest store in Canada and they also have the branding to back it up. Their cards are quite expensive, um, so take that as you will. Um, they generally pay pretty well on cards as well, mainly because they do need to keep their stock levels fairly high. Um, so if you're looking to trade in for other cards, I would suggest that they be your first stop. Um, that being said, uh, prices do look a little bit deceiving. Uh, I believe one CAD exchanges for about 0.76 right now, if I'm not correctly, 0.75, 0.76. So you need to look at the number and think that it's roughly a 25% discount if you convert to USD. Uh, other than that, I've only been to Montreal once, and it actually wasn't for Magic, uh, so I actually can't speak much to what the actual city is like. Uh, there will be a lot of French cards there. Uh, Montreal is in French Quebec, so uh, a lot of French cards. 
Uh, just be careful when you buy things. A lot of cards have similar names in various romantic languages as they do in English, especially for uh, proper names or names that only exist in magic, etc. Um, the the uh, most common example is that Tarmogoyf in Italian is also Tarmogoyf. If you only look at the art plus the card name, you could easily be buying something that you did not mean to buy. Uh, other than that, it's it's not terribly different. Uh, I yeah, it, it, it's not really terribly different, despite the fact that you're technically another country. Canada, uh, most Canadian GPs pretty much operate in the same way as the U.S. Yeah, um, there's a couple things I wanted to add. I know that we talked about this last year, but there's there's um, examples of vendors who are in Canada like not remembering the exchange rate correctly, and you've seen this a couple times at European Grand Prix. So like, if a vendor types if like pulls out a calculator to work on like currency transactions, there's a high chance that they're gonna mess it up because I know one of us took advantage of that last year. Um, the Canadian dollar is doing very badly right now, so normally you can haggle if you're spending enough money, and then as Ed said, there's generally pretty generous terms from some of the uh, Canadian vendors out there. Um, the owner, one of the owners, I believe, went on uh, Planet Money, I want to say, which is like a financial podcast, and talked about how bad the tariffs were hurting his business, and that he didn't expect to um, break even on how much he had to pay, basically, to get all the stuff imported um, for like six to eight months after um, the tariffs had been imposed, If and this is like off the top of my head, so don't quote me on it, but like I've listened to that episode, so I'm, I'm vaguely summarizing it. Um, so it could be that a lot of Canadian vendors are looking for a quick um, cash infusion, uh, just like most Grand Prix, like even with Ed said at Indy that vendors were really just not doing much, like those are the perfect Grand Prix to just haggle with vendors because they need to make money or they need to do some type of transaction to... Uh, to not just be sitting there and twiddling their thumbs. Um, and I've certainly, and I know Ed has certainly had some very profitable times, uh, just like buying cards not in the US, uh, Canada specifically. I remember Toronto last year was really good. So if you're going, like definitely shop around, look at all the buy lists and bring cash because credit card transactions are a pain in the butt for most people. Jim, you have any advice for our listener? Uh, I've only been to Canada once myself, and it was not for a magic event, so I don't have a ton to add there. Once the GP had, you, like, know the schedule. Uh, I believe, if I have my timeline correct, I think uh, it is the release weekend for Thrones of Eldraine, so it should be the first weekend in October, I believe. Oh, okay. Well, if there's hockey, then go see a Canadians game. So. That I agree. Uh, hockey's great. I am going to Canada next, no, two weekends from now, and unfortunately they are out of town. Yeah. Very sad. But he still won't come to St. Louis, listeners. He will drive, He will fly all the way to Canada, but he won't come to St. Louis and watch a Blues game. So, anyway. I mean, I think I'm more likely to get shot in St. Louis than I am in Canada. That so. is half the fun. <laughs> What? Getting shot? I picked up uh, Douglas Johnson of Brainstorm Brewery when he was working for me at the last 10K I hosted, and I'm like, hey, welcome to St. Louis. Uh, if we get carjacked, it's a tradition here, so don't worry and just give them your stuff. So, yeah, St. Louis is great, uh, but what want to know what's better, Jim, is winning $25 from Cool Stuff, Inc. 
uh, credit and uh, where can um, he claim his credit and then where can people leave a question for next week so uh, you can send me an email at cartelaristocrats at gmail.com and then during the next podcast I will send you your $25 gift certificate to coolstuffing.com if you're listening at home you want to win next time uh, you need to leave a question on the coolstuffing.com page that will go up when the uh, cast is released Cool. So we've covered Throne of Eldraine and we've covered um, Canadian finance. Is there any other topics that you guys would like to talk about this week? Uh, is Magic doomed? Also, there's like no Brawl decks don't exist. Yeah. Let's talk about that. So Star Cause... City came out and they said, hey, we're not getting enough Brawl decks. Um, I don't remember if they said they could fulfill their pre-orders, but a lot of shops came out and said... We're getting like a tenth to a quarter of what we asked for allocation-wise. And now they can't fulfill necessarily their pre-orders, and there's no way to basically pre-order these online unless you want to pay some stupid amount. Did I cover it? Yeah, it's really depressing because I think that these are really great product, and I would love to have owned them, but they didn't print enough of them, and I'm not sure it's going to be worth having them, like in four months when they get new ones to the shelves you know what i mean like i don't know how much what the turnaround time is on uh printing product and i don't know how long it takes from like when they make that decision to like when you can actually purchase that again but this is a really bad feeling for something that they were trying to like get off the ground so i'd be very afraid of like the price of singles for those decks too at least in the short term because they just won't exist for a bit yep Ed, what are your thoughts on the brawl shortage? Uh, I I think it's a twofold problem. The first problem is that it's impossible to get Magic players and people as a whole to figure out what they want ahead of time and actually order. Um, right, like I I would not I would not ever fault a store for not ordering enough and then them not getting enough product. It's likely. Um, this is something that's occurred constantly, and I think Wizards is just taking the approach that we're just going to intentionally underprint product in the attempt to get people to, one, pre-order in advance, and two, just not have a bunch of product laying around on the shelves. Because if that happens, all that's doing is just costing you know distributors and then ultimately stores money. Um, as a consumer, I realize most people don't actually care about how stores do. But this is something that does kind of trickle down and affect most consumers. Um, I think we've seen this time and time again where people have no interest in something, and then as soon as they realize that they can't get it, apparently it's just the hottest thing in the world. And I find that mildly annoying. It's the same way how uh, people don't pre-register for a Grand Prix, and then people get upset when a Grand Prix sells out. Um, not really sure what the fix is to this. It does kind of suck that something that they're, they're trying to push is not widely available. But I don't really know what what better approach to this this problem would be. Yeah, I mean, I tend to pre-order stuff pretty early. And by the way, if you pre-order things like way in advance, you usually get a much better deal than if you wait for cards to get spoiled. And for the most part, like, a lot of things that people would otherwise... Like, if you're a person that plays Commander and you know you're going to buy all four Commander decks, waiting till the last minute only hurts you. It definitely... Like, no, nothing about that is good. 
if you, if you pre-order them ahead of time, you 100% sure you're going to get them. You don't have to worry about one of the decks having a card that makes it way more expensive and harder to get. And you don't have to worry about your LGS running out. It just makes sense to do that. Now, I wasn't really sure what kind of cards would be in the Brawl decks. I wasn't sure if they would be like more spiky standard stuff or like more casually like Commander EDH stuff. And after having played with them, I definitely think it's closer to a Commander product than it is to a standard product. And like... When I went to try to order it, just nobody had any in stock, and I was very confused. And then, you know, the, the Star City thing of, you know, nobody has any and there's none available to order just, like, cements this as, like, a very depressing thing to have happened because it wasn't announced as, like, a product that I think an EDH player would like, but it looks like it is. So I don't know how we were supposed to respect that. And I think that stores also just didn't have an idea of, like, whether or not they'd be good enough for people to want to buy them. Am I wrong? I feel like that's that's how I feel like what, what just happened is they didn't make enough. Like they were making like a supplementary standard product, but really it's just like a commander product that they should have printed a shit ton of. Yeah, I definitely agree. On a related note, like do you guys think that LGSs are suffering from the fact that Wizards keeps like pulling products from them essentially? Or like this is a whole other topic that I feel we should at least touch on. Uh, I think it's not so much that LGSs are suffering, it's more like the players are being punished for not pulling the trigger. I, I think it's kind of an odd way to look at it. Like, I realize in Jim's case, like, he was trying to pre-order as soon as possible, and it wasn't available. I think that's a, a somewhat lousy situation. Um, but it's hard to gauge as a store, having, you know, been on this road from... from you know, having done this in the past, I've been on this road before. It really, really sucks to order something that you think will be good, and then people don't end up buying it. And then on the flip side, it really sucks to have pre-orders available. No one wants it. Some news drops, and then everyone wants it. And you're just not able to get anywhere close to uh, what the initial demand was. Um, I think this is technically slightly better for stores in the sense that... Um, you technically can't pre-order anymore, right? Because if it's there's naturally going to be a shortage, you're just going to sell out. And in my mind, I think that's fine. It's much, much better for something to there for there to be a shortage of something than a surplus of something. Um in uh in the retail world. Mainly because if some if you have a surplus of something and it sits there, you're automatically losing money on that until it sells. And even if it takes some time to sell you've lost the opportunity to have that money go elsewhere if all you have is products sitting on the shelves. Um, and I would just like to point out and interrupt Ed that we saw this a lot with Masters 25 and Iconic Masters at release, where a lot of shops had bought so much of this and then it just sat there for a while and they could not basically get rid of boxes at, like, at anything above cost. Yeah, and I think that that's definitely a problem. And... This this product being a hedge and not printing so much is just like the un it, like it's just so unfortunate that they're so good and they released them early on on Magic Arena like they did such a good job of selling a deck that could be like of selling a good product but then didn't make enough to sell and that's just like really it, it's more unfortunate than anything else like I understand that stores don't want to keep a bunch of stuff in stock because if you have too much stock of something then like. 
you're just wasting money because it's just like it takes up space and it doesn't it doesn't make you any money and at the end of the day you know it, your business needs to make money in order to survive but it's just like it's so it's so infuriating when they when people are skeptical and then the product is actually very good and they give you a good way to like test it out and all that and then they just they don't exist and i i guess that's a better that's a better alternative to them like them not being worth anything and people that pre-order them like you know get uh burned but i don't know i i'm just mad because i thought i was like going ahead and pre-ordering them pretty early and they just like they just didn't exist there was just no place to do it and it, there continues to be no place to do it so i don't know when i'm going to end up getting mine i might just end up with like a bunch of um you know a bunch of singles from somebody that cracked it for like three cards and that'll just have to be how i accept what happens i don't know i'm i'm just i'm just very mad because this project is too good for like the amount that it's not going to sell yeah, that's a good point. I think that they definitely have put enough cards in this product to make it succeed, and then by limiting it, um, not only do some of the shops not get burned on holding onto this, but like players are gonna really want the cards inside, and prices are gonna artificially go up, or not artificially. Sorry, that we're a finance podcast. We're better than that, but like they're gonna go up on purpose, basically. So, like, the the new Signet that everyone wants to play is going to be, like, a ton of money. So, if you're a Commander player, you might want to look into arbitraging it through someone like Ed or, like, just finding a, a certain way or, like, banking enough store credit to get enough of these for your decks. Because they are going to be pretty hard to get. I might have to look for, like, to get them from Japan or something. Because I think this product is also getting printed in Japanese. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like, Ed is probably going to have... Or like even Tales of Adventure at a Grand Prix will probably have enough Japanese copies of this in stock, and like you may be able to save a couple bucks if you're at a Grand Prix or if you reach out to some of the vendors out there, and that like may be the only way to either get these cards or like not pay an arm and a leg to get these cards. And this is with like a twelve to thirteen dollar cost for shops. This isn't like a Commander deck where we're gonna get another True Name. This is just like a a smaller product where you're like, why am I paying this much for a Mana Rock? So, yeah. Anything else that you wanted to add about this, guys? Arcane Signet is terribly designed. I feel like whoever designed that card just needs to be fired from Wizards. Well, Ed, it sells product, and that's what we're worried about is the shareholder's bottom line. I mean, it's more than that, like... You want them to make more magic because magic is a great game. If things sell, then they can make more magic, and that's just good for everyone, right? I don't want to be like a like corporate apologist, but I'm I'm okay with them making cards. I'm okay with them selling things that are not necessarily for me or I don't necessarily like, but are selling so that you know money changes hands and the, and the business can continue. Sure. That's a valid point. The, not to go too deep into this, the issue I have is that the card is designed in such a way where it's very clear that every commander player wants this card. You need to have a different avenue for people to acquire it other than it comes in only Brawl decks. That's more or less the issue I have with that. Uh, it is also available on Collector's Boosters, and I assume that it will be in, you know, in commander decks and Brawl decks in the future. Yep. Like, it's just going to be like Soul Ring. It's going to be in everything. 
Yeah. But you have to print it the first time. Yeah, I agree. But I, I think there is a play for arbitrage. You're just like having a pocket of credit at your LGS for when this card comes out so that you can snag it the day that the product's released. All right. Yeah. You guys ready to move into our pick of the week now since it's not our credit winner of the week? Uh, yeah, I guess so. All right. Well, Ed, you are up first, and you've been able to see the most magic cards since you were just at a Grand Prix. So what do you have for us this week? Uh, I currently like Knight of the Ebon Legion. Uh, it didn't really occur to me right away since uh, the reason the card was relevant is in Black White Vampires. That deck is always going to rotate, but now that we have a knight theme going on in the deck, and the fact, or in the new format, um, and now it, you know if there's going to be a knight deck going forward, I think this card is probably going to be one of the key players. It's the uh, one mana one two from M twenty. Uh, it grows. Uh, you can use three mana to pump in, give it death touch, and then if uh, a player lost four or more life, uh, put plus one plus one counter on it. Um, it's pretty cheap. I do not believe it has a promo pack printing, so the supply hasn't gone flooded the same way that some of the other cards have. Um, if this does see play, it's going to see play as a four of. If we have more knights are pushed in uh, along the lines of uh, was it murderous? Whatever the knight we were talking about previously was, I don't know the name. Um, if we have the if we murderous, murderous rider. rider, okay. If we have more cards along that vein, it's very very possible that we see a night deck and i think you know this is going to be an easy place to start um it uh the night it may just be a bonus i think a one mana one two with very very good upside is probably also playable if we just have a mono black aggro deck or some sort of weenie aggro deck in standard um this spec is not necessarily made for going super deep i don't think i want to run out and buy 100 copies of this card but i think just just looking at the M20 cards I want for standard, I think this is a fairly easy place to go. I think $8 to get your set out of the way and done with is probably a freebie. I don't think it gets much cheaper than this. Um, if it spikes, then you probably save yourself like 20 bucks or something, which is, I think, I think relatively fine. Um, uh, this is also hedging on the fact that aggressive decks tend to do much better week one. Um, it's hard to build a control deck when you don't know what the answer, what you're trying to answer in the format. So generally early on, um, this might be a super short-term play. If you get this, if a deck does well early, if, a, if people decide that knights are good and they want to play with, with them week one, you might just be able to cash in right away, even if the deck doesn't necessarily turn out to be good. Uh, Ed, are you aware that this is in the, one of the brawl decks? Right, the thing that you can't get. Okay, so there really isn't that much supply. Got it. I, I did not know that actually, but I'm I'm just I'm just yes. There there is one in the the Mardu Brawl deck because it's a night theme deck. Uh, that's good to know. I think my point about having not a lot of supply out there for this card stands. Okay, I just was wondering if that changed your mind at all. The answer to that yeah, is I, I like either you're going to own zero this card or you're going going to own four this card. I don't think that one copy existing in the brawl deck is going to swing this too much in one direction or the other as a result i mean i don't i agree with you but there will be people that ask the question well what it's in the brawl deck how's that affected you know that's like good that. to know i did not know that all right jim uh so 
My pick this week is uh, Nissa Who Shakes the World. Uh, I am expecting a lot of Teferi decks in Standard in the near future. Uh, Nissa is one of the few Planeswalker cards that can... Uh, sorry, Teferi the Time Raveler, I mean, because uh, the other one's leaving. Uh, Nissa Who Shakes the World is one of the few um, Planeswalkers that can immediately pressure a Teferi without outright like killing it like a black Planeswalker might be able to. Uh, the fact that it makes 3-3s lines up pretty well with a lot of the Planeswalkers that are in the upcoming set. So I And, and the card has already shown to be quite good in a lot of different shells. As standard gets smaller, the number of cards that were otherwise not powerful enough will uh, you know, rise up, and uh, I think that's a card that could be quite expensive coming into the new standard set. Yeah, I agree with that pick a lot. I like your reasoning behind it. Ed, anything you want to add about Jim's pick? Uh, that would actually have been like my other pick as well. It's one of those things where uh, it's good. I think it has a lot of casual appeal. Uh, the fact that it's certainly relevant standard. We have seen it played in standard previously. Definitely makes us pretty good. I think it's like $4 right now or something. I think it's like quite quite cheap. Uh, yeah. Yeah, again, this is also one of those cards where it's very, very clear that this likely will see play at some point. Uh, the fact that it has casual appeal um, with the uh, heartbeat spring ability, mana flare ability, whatever you want to call it, I think will it'll never get cheaper than it is now. So I think this is a, a pretty free buy as well. Speaking of free buys, I have a Mystic to pick this week as my pick of the week. Can anyone guess what it is? It starts with an S and ends with Mystic. Uh... Stars with an S and ends Stone with Mystic. Mystic. Nope. Ow. Close. My pick this week is Starfield Mystic from M20. Um, the card directly references Theros on the card with both the artwork and the flavor text. And this is currently barely above a bulk rare. It's one in a white. Enchantment spells you cast cost one less. And whenever an enchantment you control is put into a graveyard from the battlefield, put a plus one plus one counter on Starfield Mystic. This seems like all upside, just hedging for the Theros block coming up. Uh, like, these are currently 20 cents overseas, 30 cents US. Like, this is just something where I want to trade for as many of these as possible over the next year before, like, people start getting hyped on Theros and then buy less them when the hype goes and make a bunch of free money. This is going to be, in my opinion, one of the easiest um, penny stocks for the next year to pick up because no one's going to be gunning for this card and as soon as they spoil all the Theros stuff that we know is coming up before Zendikar, this is just free money. So I, this is like one of the times I'm confident calling this is like a very low risk penny stock and free money. So am I wrong? Am I right? That's what you guys are here for. It's not... So I've played with this card. It's not my favorite Enchantress because it doesn't draw a card. But... You get a non-zero amount of utility out of your enchantments costing one less. I think that the other ability is just trap, and it, you know, like if anything, if your enchantment dies, you're just probably dead anyway. Right, but we don't know what mechanics are coming for Theros. Like the other thing I'm looking at is anything that could possibly have devotion, um, in uh, Throne of Eldraine, for when Theros comes to. Like there's all these synergies yeah, that they've I, hinted at already, and this could just potentially be a bunch of free money for us uh, in the future. I agree with that. I like the fact that they spoiled something today that costs four white green mana is just like, or sorry, four white green hybrid mana, and I'm just like, give it in like, yeah, I see what you're doing here. I know the last time you did this, you did uh, stupid Nightfall Spectre. Uh, 
Yeah, Night Vale Spectre and Bordos Reckoner, like all of the hybrid mana cost guys, uh, or creatures rather, from uh, the original Ravnica were like a plant. Like, I think that there's a set, there's a, there's a, there's four different, or at least there's three different so far, uh, hybrid mana cost things. Because there's the, the blue white owl and the red white knight. The, the knight's kind of bad, but the, the other ones are okay. So, if they make some rare cards that have hybrid mana, I'd uh, definitely keep an eye on those. Yep. Ed, anything you want to add before we end the cast? Uh, no. I think... I don't necessarily agree with your pick, but uh, I don't I don't think it hurts to pick up, you know, to throw like $20 at it, pick up... You said it was, what, 20 cents, 30 cents or something? Yeah, I just think my out is going to be like 50 cents on a buy list. After like getting these for bulk, seems reasonable. I don't think that's. I don't think that's unreasonable. I do think it's a little too narrow in scope to be very good, but at that price, it's a relatively low investment. So like, it's a low risk, low reward investment. So I think if people want to throw money at that, I think it's fine. I probably would though. Sure. And if people want to throw a follow at you, where can they find you? Uh, I'm Edwin. You guys can find me on Twitter at Edwin13. Uh, shout out to all the people I met in GP Indy this past weekend. There are quite a few people between that and the Brainstorm Brewery party that I saw. Um, I will be... What's coming up? I'll be in Atlanta I'll be in Atlanta next weekend for the Legacy Magic Fest behind the Tales of Adventure booth. My name is Jim Kasai. You can find me on Twitter at uh... P-H-R-O-S-T underscore. You can find me on this lovely podcast every week. And uh, you can find me playing Monster Hunter probably for the next week. I'm Jeremy. You can find me on Twitter at Missouri MTG. You can find me this weekend in the lesser state of Wisconsin. I'll be playing in the Nerd Rage game uh, Legacy 5K. So if you see some dude with a lot of Russian foils playing Legacy, that's probably me. So come by and say hi. Uh, you can find the podcast at cartel underscore finance on Twitter, at cartel aristocrats on YouTube, SoundCloud, and of course on our sponsors page, coolstuffinc.com. Thanks as always for listening, guys. We do appreciate your support, and as always, have a great week, and guess what? Bye bye. <laughs>